Okay, so now we have a bit more time for questions and everything. We start yes. Yeah? Hi, I've got a question for Jane. Would you be able to comment on the issue of um, population aging and you know the inverted pyramid and the dependency ratio? Because I've often heard the debate about population being framed in terms of the you know the need for the younger workforce to support the sort of dependent older people in our society and depopulation or keeping at a level would obviously impact on that that ratio regardless of you know so can you explain yes yes and i kind of i had a couple of slides on that and i pulled them out because of time pressures but um that's another one of those cover stories uh and i think a lot of people genuinely do i mean a lot of economists have genuine concerns because what they're modeling is a shrinkage in workforce because they're assuming that the proportion of working age people that actually have jobs will not be affected by how much population growth we have or don't have so what actually happens is that as the labor market tightens more people stay in the workforce and there has been no change in the proportion of people employed or the hours of work done um, across countries of different age. Japan has exactly the same proportion of people employed as Australia, only more of them are full-time. And the ones who are part-time are part-time because they want to be and not because that's all they can get. So in that sense, there's no economic impact. We can have a much more in nuanced conversation about you know, what GDP is measuring and the compositional bias of comparing a more aged society with more retirees, which might have a lower GDP per capita because more people are in, in the working, I mean, fewer people are in the money earning period of their lives, compared with a younger society where more people are in the earning period of their lives. But the point is they're not poorer because over the life course of each of those people, their income generation is the same. And the ability of that society to um, support retirees depends on a lot of other things apart from how much work is actually being done at the time. So, and, and a lot of work is done just to redistribute wealth. So there's a lot of work we don't need if people don't need to do it. So shrinkage of workforce is not necessarily a bad thing. Um, I could go on, but I think we've got things to uh, the only thing I'd say to that, of course, is that uh, a lot of Scandinavia and Japan have already done such transitions, haven't they, in terms of uh, their population, so that they haven't actually found that society's collapsed by uh, moving to a, a sustainable, you know, more towards a, That's a low... That's true. Yeah. Um, it's also true that they haven't finished that transition, so the proportion of people in retirement will increase. But it will stabilise. It doesn't go on until everyone's, you know, in a nursing home with nobody to look after them. It stabilises at around 25-28% if it's a stable population and if it's a declining population, so the generations below are actually smaller than the retirees, it might get up to about 33%. But there's always a majority of people in the working age bracket and more people in the working age bracket than we currently have jobs for. So it's never a crisis. Can I just ask one question? Is there a migrant in this group? No. 
uh, particularly in jobs, because there's a lot more jobs in renewable energy than in fossil fuels. But yeah, the, the problem I have is it's avoiding the, uh, the, the broad umbrella of acknowledging that we can't keep growing physically forever, because we've been growing, because even renewable energy, you can't keep growing renewable energy forever. You need neodymium to make the magnets and wind turbines. You, there's limited amounts of neodymium. You can't keep growing that forever. So for the last few or 100 years or more, we've been growing 3% a year in energy use. And you only go sit down and do the calculations. And if you realize if you, if you keep doing that, I think within 600 years, you're actually getting to the increasing the temperature of the Earth to a certain point where uh, most of life is becoming <laughs> cannot survive. So obviously you can't keep doing that. So you can't, uh, you have to accept that you need to stabilize your growth. But in terms of that transition, there will be a lot of uh, growth in some of the right things. And I, I would argue that we need a lot of growth in the non-material aspects, such as ethics and uh, uh, education, of course, is uh, not necessarily, have to, doesn't have to be big material use. But yeah, I, I agree. I, I have a problem that it's, um, uh, it's a good line that I want growth in the good things, not in the bad things, but I, I think it needs to be situated within the fact that we have to acknowledge that we have an addiction to the idea of growth and mostly it's been physical in the last hundred years and we can't keep going on that. Mm -hmm. We might take a question, sir. Yeah. Uh, Jane, can I ask you to go back to the slides back to the one you had about affordability? This one? Yes. In that wonderful slide, do you assume that there is no contribution from any immigrants? No. Because all of that suggests that the current GDP has to pay for any increasing immigration. No, I, I don't assume that. Um, okay, then, then those numbers need to be adjusted to allow for that. No, correct? no, they don't. Oh, okay. Um, so. How this works is that I'm assuming that immigrants are absolutely equivalent to the endemic people. They're, they're not more productive and they're not less productive. Now, there are arguments that they're more productive because we're selecting skilled migrants, but in fact, more than half of the skilled migration program is family members of skilled migrants. Um, and there are, there's a lot of data that says that migrants um, have lower wages on average, are more likely to be employed under their level of qualification. All, all so all those, that, I, don't, I don't want to go into that, but no, the assumption... If, if they contribute as much, then the percentage of GDP won't grow, GDP will grow. We can assume that GDP at 1% will grow, 1% population growth might, if we're able to absorb those people into the labour market on equal terms to the resident population, that GDP might grow at 1% because it's a 1% scale up of everything. So it will grow essentially at the same rate as the population. Yeah, and we might then say that government revenue might be growing at 1% on account of that. But we're talking about a um, six and a half to seven percent hit on what that GDP is spent on, and a close to two percent hit on of GDP 
which is about a six and a half to seven percent of government revenue, um, also spent on provisioning extra people. So there's a gap. But, you know, an annual basis is not the relevant thing. It's a kind of calculus thinking, if you like. At any moment in time, a stable population has a different cost structure to one that is growing. I must admit that I felt quite confronted by your presentation. I found it a very myopic and isolationist argument to say, um, let's just fix up Australia, let's limit the numbers coming to Australia. I mean, what presentation would we be making if this conference was held in Germany at the moment, with a million migrants on the doorstep? Not by any policy, but they've just come from, from disaster areas. I think you've got to look to in the future in terms of, it's not so much how many people be, will be in the world, but where will they be? All the growth in the future will be in countries in Africa and um, Turkey, these young countries with young populations. What happens when Vanuatu goes underwater with, with global warming? Will we not take them? I just found the whole thing extremely myopic. The other thing I found was that Australia is a relatively low taxing country. What's to stop us from increasing taxes so we can accommodate people like this? Why do we have to spend 50 billion on submarines rather than accommodating more people? And I'm not even getting into the whole argument about um, that we're very fortunate in this country because we import um, very intelligent and well-trained people. I mean, a lot of if you look at a lot of the inventions and you look at all the incubators coming out of Silicon Valley, a lot of that's from immigrants. So I found the whole thing extremely narrow. Sorry. Yeah, um, I, I will disagree with you on a number of points. Um, I don't know how productive it is to to go into that well, maybe in detail. A bottle of red wine. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Germany is in an interesting, and the whole yes. of Western Europe is in an interesting yeah, it's position. Yeah, we're thinking it's a great thing. But it, you have to remember that those refugees in Germany are not allowed to work. No, that's not my point. That's not my point. They're coming into the country. And I'm saying that's a political, um, it's a political um, reality, right? I don't think yeah. we can sit here in Australia yeah. and think that we can close the borders and maybe reduce our immigration. Well, we can't say what Germany's going to do, but they're going to do something. Uh, yeah, I'm from Switzerland. In 2012, counting also the immigration, our population was negative. So it's not always that immigration. Uh, in Switzerland? In the Italian part, in my region, it's in Ticino. Okay. In 2012, I can find it. Switzerland out. is the only other Western country that has pretty much similar per capita immigration to us because the deal that the EU has done with them requires that they don't have any control over the number of immigrants. So Switzerland actually has very high population growth at the moment. My question and my, my concern is that a lot of the discussions around population, we're talking about it within the labour force context um, in Australia, but uh, we are also on, on the brink of massive automation um, of the labour industry. So it's inevitable that there'll be mass redundancies and there'll be mass unemployment. Uh, but there's a bigger concern at stake in my mind, and that's that people equals carbon footprint. And uh, you put up the graph yesterday that um, uh, the, the biggest contribution uh, to, to carbon emissions would be to have an extra child. So are we getting distracted by talking about within Australia's labour force and to try to fix the tax and fix the policies uh, to maintain the population as opposed to the larger global context to, to either steady or to maintain the uh, population within that uh, current capacity? Okay, uh, just to be quick, um, yes, you're right. Um, the reason for focus on labour force and those economic arguments is because that's where the policy 
justifications are. Um, so it's directly countering that rather than the conversation that you might be having about how to run a sustainable planet. Um, about automation and redundancies, people have been saying that since the Luddites. And the, the thing that people are missing is that the main function of employment is redistribution of resources. People being able to feed themselves by offering their labour. And they will find new ways to, <laughs> to take a little bit out of the pockets of the people who've got money by doing something for them. Um, you know, who would have thought we need so many baristas in this country? <laughs> people just find ways of employing themselves because they need a job. It's not because we need their work. So I can't make any prediction about what direction the workforce will go because those different things are all pulling in different directions. Um, and I don't think automation is going to have the impact that is expected on it. No, behind? No? There was someone in the back? Yes, please. Yeah, I'm just wanting to comment on um, how relevant it is to, to create this sort of close coupling between population and economy when, I, I guess in my perspective, uh, it's not the essential link, but perhaps how we choose to live by way of resources, uh, use and lifestyle, and that if we'd all walked here and had this meeting under a tree and under a building, then we could continue on quietly with the current population growth models indefinitely, but because we choose these high resource intensive social development lifestyles, it's, that is sort of driving the issue rather than the population growth itself. Okay, so I'm coming from a perspective of an agricultural scientist and, and thinking a lot about what are the limiting factors for humanity on this planet and where we should be drawing those limits in terms of how much we leave for other species. Um, so, yes, we could use a lot less of mined resources and some of those mined resources are problematic because of the pollution they create and some of them are problematic because we might run out of them. But that's not what's really limiting us. What's limiting us is access to water and food. And we are not sustainably feeding seven and a half billion people at the moment. We could do a lot better about how we feed seven and a half billion people if we weren't eating as much meat and if we weren't um, running the food system for the sake of business. But <laughs> that doesn't mean that we can have, you know, 15 billion people without overrunning our capacity. But that's, that's a limitation of the structure of the economy because if the economy was based on enhancing the ecology, then we wouldn't have the issues that we've got. Hey, you just, well, I'm an environmental scientist and of course really the central part of that is looking around impact people's population, one's happiness, one technology. Now, you've got to work at all three of those. And uh, what a number of people would suggest is actually, uh, yeah, I, mean, I've never, I don't know anyone who's active on population who doesn't want to also reduce consumerism or move to better technology. But as Paul Lernick says, there are two sides of the area of the square, if you like, and the area in the middle is your impact, and you're trying to sweep both of them at the same time, mm -hmm. so you, you can't forget any of them. So it's hard enough, yeah. But some people actually think it's actually easier to change population than to reduce consumerism. We really must finish. Yeah. Thank you, Hayden. Yeah. I'm going to talk with you.